Gibbs is a member of WGPRN, WildGibbsProductions.com. Hello folks, and welcome to the Darkling Podcast. I am your host Vince, along with my co-host Mark, and we are back. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic, yes, here we are, Darkling, episode number 8, I think, on the 8-Ball. Good to be here. Yeah, I couldn't remember the numbers, so I didn't say anything. I think it's 8, yeah. We'll just call it that for now. That'll do. <laughs> and uh, if you've checked out the forums lately, we've put up a post. Just just throw it out there. Uh, trying to nominate us for the any awards, Mark? That would be nice, yeah. Deadline is uh, May the 8th, I think. Uh, we have to submit one of our must-hear must shows to the guys over at the Ennies. So we're just kind of canvassing some input on that from the listeners. So if you have any opinions either way, head over to the forums and let us know which you thought was our stellar episode. And we'll... Uh, we, we'll see if it wins us some gold. Yeah, that'd be nice. We actually have uh, a poll up right now with the three best episodes uh, chosen by the listeners in the forums. And two, actually all three of them involve Chuck Windig. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How strange. Damn you, <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> anyway, this week on the Darkling Podcast, we have a very special guest with us tonight, Mr. David Hill Jr. David, how you doing back there? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're doing wonderful. Excellent. Welcome back, David. Good to have you on the show again. A pleasure. Well, this week you uh, you had something to promote on the podcast, so I'm going to turn it over to you, and you can tell us a little bit about it, and then we'll ask you a few questions. Okay. Um, then uh, let's see. Um, the game itself, the game that I am um, promoting, I guess that's the nicest way to say it. Um, the <laughs> game that I'm promoting is called Machine Zeit. Um, it is a um, it is a sci-fi horror RPG. Um, basically, the way that I've heard it described to me from other people was like um, Event Horizon or Pandorum or Alien or Dead Space, kind of that vibe right. um, in an RPG. Um, the game itself, it's all about like movie logic. It's all about um, narrative control. Um, we don't really concern ourselves too much with how hard, difficult things might be. Like That doesn't actually play into the mechanics. The only thing that really plays into the mechanics is how much you want to do cool things. Um, okay. Cool things are what we do RPGs for, so I figured yeah. I would emphasize that. Okay, cool. David. Uh, first question we have for you is what mechanics does this system use? The uh, mechanics are a unique system um, that I've developed. I um, It's using a D100, a percentile-based system. Okay. Um, and more or less the um, the whole the sort of difficulty, the, the driving mechanic comes down to um, how much you want your character su to succeed. So there's like a um, – the, the mechanic is ingrained to make you fail on stuff that's not very important. Like you might fail in tying your shoes, <laughs> but then whenever you're trying to kill the monster at the end, then you're much more likely to. Because if you think yeah. about it, like – in, in most RPGs, like if you're trying to swing across the ravine and kick the monster down the ravine and whatever, I think it's really hard. Like you get all these penalties and stuff. But in my game, that's that's the easiest thing to do. The We like failure. We just don't like failure when it matters. Yeah, that's the thing you want to be doing. Yeah, that's what the game's about. So you want to, you want to have it happen. Exactly. 
Yeah, and just to be clear, we're not talking about a World of Darkness game here, are we? This is a system you've devised, a setting you've devised. No, it's um, it's it's totally not World of Darkness. Um, it's yeah. my own flesh and blood. However, um, for World of Darkness fans, you will notice a lot of really cool names, up to and including the um, Chuck Windig that you've just uh, mentioned. Um, <laughs> Chuck Windig wrote a little bit of it. Um, Stu Wilson, the American um, hero, Steve Wilson. <laughs> um, the let's see. Um, Little Eddie Webb's name was on there, and uh, I saw Webb. Black Black Hat McFarlane in the in the thanks list too. Um, Black Hat Matt, um, he actually contributed money to the effort. He pre-ordered. Oh, even uh, better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, pre- but he didn't contribute words. Um, Jen Brozek, she did the um, see what was it called the um, proverbial monsters. Right. She um yeah she she was a writer and she's my editor. Um. John Kennedy, who did part of Collection of Horrors, is in it. Um, Chris Simmons, who wrote part of New Wave Requiem. So it's, oh, there's, cool. there's a lot of White Wolf names on there, actually. Excellent. A real, a real kind of star-studded cast there. Who is yeah, the, I noticed. I, n- I noticed the the upfront, the the beginning of the of the uh, of the book, as it were. Is you've got a good sixty odd pages of background there. Really interesting backgrounds involving gamma ray bursts, global conspiracies, cataclysms, um, and you have these kind of these haunted space stations where some of the action or a lot of the action takes place. And there's plenty of good reasons to head up there and you know risk your life in these awful, godforsaken locations. Um, so I thought, I, I thought the background was really strong. You know, I love the way that the the long home platform just kind of falls out of the sky, and then you follow up a few paragraphs later with the line, "You know, you really have a hard on against America, don't you? Show me on the doll where capitalism touched you." <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's fantastic. And some of the email addresses in there are really cute too. The one that you know, uh, from redacted at nsa.gov to angel nine at zero point information dot com. Very <laughs> sly. Yeah, yeah. Those um, the the email addresses are mostly Eddie Webb and um, Chris Simmons and Stu Wilson's work. Um, the capitalism um, touching you that that was all on me. Um, yeah, the, the background's like I want to say that the completed product we're looking at about half of it's going to be the background chapter. That's um, really cool. it, it's very bulky, but I, I kind of the way that I approached that was I didn't want to um, make a canon for the game. What I did instead was everything is just like articles and blogs, blogs. and all of this. Like there's there's a lot of opinion, so there's nothing set in stone. So you, there's like there's a lot of contradictions and gaps. So you can kind of make do with what you will. You you fill in those gaps and you make it your own setting. I kept trying to click on all the fake links in the introductory chapter. Yeah, <laughs> they, 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 they don't work. Really no. <laughs> so what you. do you think are the most standout elements of the background that give players something to get their teeth into? I mean, in other words, what makes it particularly gameable as, to, as opposed to a collection of cool ideas? Well, really... Um, the the core concept is so super simple. Um, we we're really heavily inspired by movies that really don't need a lot of background. We're, we're talking about stuff where you sort of just jump in and you find out. Um, mm. that, that's that's sort of the mentality I was going for. But really, um, I think that the way that we've presented the background and the, the setting, it's um, it's what it's supposed to be. You're a bunch of people who are in a place that you should not be, being killed by things that you don't understand. <laughs> um, and and really, I, th- I think that we've done pretty well to present that because there's just the, the the book is full of conflicting opinions and conflicting truths, and it's not even necessarily conspiracy; it's just people that are butting heads with each other. So th- there's a lot yeah. of inborn conflict in that, and I, I really think that that does well because when you're getting stabbed and when you're bleeding out in front of your friends, like that, the argument you want to have there is, you know, how how do we get me fixed up? But the ar- argument you're actually having is, um, no, this is what's really happening. No, it was a weather balloon. Um, right. <laughs> the, 
stupid arguments really make a game good. <laughs> and and I, I hope that we've inspired a lot of stupid arguments. <laughs> well, I, I love the way that you have a good, solid, meaty background section. You can sit down, you can just read, for, you know, for pleasure almost. And then you, you come to the mechanics, and actually they're really light and they're really brief, and you don't have to wade through pages of crunch. Um, I mean, it struck me that uh, you could have a character up and running in about 10 minutes flat from the looks of it. I mean, was that borne out by playtesting or...? Yeah, the um, <laughs> ironically, the, it was um, sort of born out of um, a, a need for a game. We were sitting there, and we came up with this, this core concept for the game and what we wanted the setting to be and everything. We had a few people over, and I told them about the, the premise of the game, and they're like, damn, we want to play this. We want to play this now. Like, But I don't <laughs> have a game. And they're like, make one up. So, <laughs> so we made the mechanics while we were making characters, and I think it's worked really well. Um, whenever I run the game at conventions now, um, I do something that's completely non-standard. I do not bring pre-generated characters. I force the players at a convention game to make their characters because it's that quick. Um, right. it, it flows really, really quickly, and really it all comes down to like the role you want to play. It, there's, there's, there's not a lot of numbers. There are numbers there, but they, they really don't mean a lot. Yeah. They're very abstract. Well, that's really interesting because that ties right into a question I had actually. I, you know, I thought that affiliation was tied into the character creation. Uh, you know, that you have you have to have a sponsor or some kind of background or something that's empowered you to get out and get onto this 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 life. You know, uh, and it struck me that that would work really well for group cohesion from the outset. So yeah, I mean, I was wondering if this was a conscious choice to get players to make characters who could not be just motivated but motivated to work together. So I guess that does kind of echo back to what you were saying just now about you know where the system comes from. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if, I mean, if you look at most RPGs, you've got this sort of like party mentality. You've got you know four to six people that are getting together to do something. Some games you sort of tie them together a little bit better than others. I figured in this, um, that's that's just an inborn part of it. You've got corporations who sort of work together to send people up to do these things to go to these space stations. It's expensive, so why not do it with an affiliated group of companies instead of just one company? So yeah, I, I think that nice. that's. Well, gives them inborn motivation, gives them, you know, excuses. It's just forces them into the action. Now, there's there's a really strong uh, narrative element, you know, in the uh, in the game line. You mentioned at the at the top of the show about a lot of it's about narrative control and and doing what is enjoyable and what's fun as opposed to what's perhaps statistically sound. Mm -hmm. um, now, I was really struck by the sidebar about min maxing and character traits and what have you, uh, where it says, you know, go ahead, you know. Uh, min-max your, your best stats because you need them and I mm -hmm. thought it was an interesting combination of approach of a stat-based game like a, a kind of old-school game with um, with more more, more narrative uh, games you know I'm thinking of things like Dread and like Primetime Adventures yeah um, and you've also got the discussion of space stations as dungeons in the GMing chapter um, mm -hmm. so you, it seemed to me it's coming from both directions do you think that Machine Zeit draws its pedigree from a combination of old-school games and more new style approaches or yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've got I've got clearly a background in in traditional games. I've I've written for White Wolf. I've written for Catalyst and Shadowrun. All all kinds of stuff. So I, I have a big foundation in that. And then I do a lot of the indie hippie games, that sort of thing. Um, I've been playing Shock a lot lately, and I've been reading the crap out of. Um, spirit of the century so that there's, okay, there's, yeah. there's a little bit coming from every direction really i kind of wanted to do something that that could appeal to people who wanted a sort of gamey strategy thing but then also i wanted to sort of focus on the core of what role-playing is and that that kind of comes back to the doing cool things stuff um so yeah min maxing is really really an encouraged thing actually like the system doesn't really work unless you min max you have to really focus on 
the important things that you want to do. And that's, uh, that's key to it. Um, and like, I guess the, the biggest problem as far as breaking down conventions is sometimes, um, you'll get people who are playing and they say, well, can I find this thing or can I do this thing? And mm. you, you really have to approach it from a, um, well, can you? And that, that sort of throws some more traditional gamers for a loop. But I think that once they get into it, it really works. Like they really take ownership of the story and just run with it. Um, so I wrote the game so it could actually be run without a GM, um, so that's, mm, yeah. that's one major difference. Well, I think it's one of the, the biggest uh, uh, advances, I suppose, that's come out of the whole, um, I, I, you know, I want to say Forge-style games. It's not limited to the Forge, but, you know, those kind of things, yeah. prime time adventures and Dread and those things, is the fact that the players will be like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. You know, I think the example in the book is, well, yeah, there is a fire axe there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, clearly those games are inspirational and... Uh, I find it really interesting that, that this game has got such a cinematic approach, and uh, I like the conflict system that's in there. Um, uh, the threat system is fantastic. You know, it's in genre and totally appropriate to the setting. Uh, what was it made you choose that particular approach to hazards in the game, the way that you handle threats, for example? Because they tie into the way NPCs work as well. You know, they're kind of linked together. It's really interesting. Yeah, that um, ironically, that kind of comes from the other direction. Um, I, w- I was sort of inspired mostly by... Um, Fourth edition, uh, fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons. By that, um, I kind of mm. looked at the way that they they frame encounters, um, and I thought about it. And yeah, that's that's exactly what a game of Dungeons and Dragons is. It's you know three to five encounters per night where you go from one to the next to the next to the next, and you just do things, you handle them. So I approach everything sort of from that. Um, if you if you meet with an NPC, that is a threat. That is that is an encounter. So it's framed as such, and you don't really worry about the statistics for the NPC. You worry about the statistics. For for the encounter and how that works. Yeah. And that works the same if it's a trap, if it's you know a broken floor, or if it's a monster. Everything sort of uses that same system. Um, I figured j- I just go completely off the other end with it. Um, they, they frame encounters. I make everything an encounter. Yeah, that's really neat. Uh, I was curious, uh, David, how you picked the people that you collaborated with over this project. Did you put an open call out for them, or just happen to pull resources together with these guys or what? Um, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I did. I put out an all call, um, and within about a half an hour, I had everything that I needed. All, like, 12 authors were staff <laughs> because I put it out over my Twitter. Um, my Twitter is infested with all sorts of game design types, and most of them, uh, most like everyone there pretty much with one or two exceptions, uh, had worked with me before on White Wolf work. So, you know, it was sort of a, a nice little reunion ability to to get back into the trenches with these people and they mm. just jump into it. I think I have, um, what, Dwayne O'Brien is a game designer. He's not um, a previous White Wolf writer. Um, he did a game called Shambles, a zombie RPG. It's brilliant. You should check it out. Um, yeah, he's one of the writers. And, um, let's see, Joshua Loomis, um, a friend of mine, um, he also is not a White Wolf writer. Um, he's part of it. But everyone else um, pretty much answered my Twitter from previous work. Cool. Mm-hmm. Now, now, speaking of White Wolf and, and going back to World of Darkness, uh, it's, it's not a World of Darkness uh, a game or, no. or necessarily setting, but what would you say that was in here for World of Darkness players? I mean, I picked up just now on the threat system. I think that's an approach that can be modeled, can be used in any game. Um, I, I love the specters. I thought they could be imported wholesale into World of Darkness games. Some great new takes on spirits and ghosts and other creepiness. Uh, the... Um 
if if you're a World of Darkness fan, um, the the Spectres are definitely sort of they they definitely have a World of Darknessy feel. Um, they are they're certainly science fiction ghosts. They are made by radiation, but the whole mm-hmm. thing is they're sort of um, they're born of these terrible events. They're born of death. They're born of nightmare. Um, I, I somebody told me they were a lot like um, Silent Hill monsters. So they mm-hmm. that that sort of feel. Um, is is very prevalent in you know a real hardcore world of darkness game. Honestly, I think that if you, if you look at the history of it, though, um, White Wolf and World of Darkness really did a lot for sort of narrative drive in games, yeah. and I think that a lot of World of Darkness players really like that. This just takes it to a different level. Hmm. Well, that was the other thing that I thought could be picked up on by uh, not just World of Darkness uh, storytellers, but GMs in general. The excellent mm-hmm. device in Machines uh, Zeit about uh, running scene based games. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you know any game could benefit from advice of that kind, and also the section at the end about LARPing, um, adding dread and setting scenes. That's excellent. As is the discussion of online games. I was pleasantly surprised to see that get such decent treatment there. There's a good, you know, there's a solid section at the back there on that kind of thing. And there's actually even more um, as we speak. My my wife is writing more on the online gaming section. Cool. Um, cool. So it, it's probably going to be about double what's in there. I, I think she's devoted about. 3,000 words to it. Because really, um, not everyone can sit around a table and game traditionally. We just don't have the facilities to do so. Um, And online gaming is a big, prevalent part of the industry. And I think it gets kind of ignored. Everyone sort of has to do their own thing and improvise how it works. But I figured that we would just throw out some ideas on how to make it work because everything has its own unique concerns and features. Why not take advantage of that? You know, use it. I'll be looking forward to reading that. I'm currently prepping a mage online game that's split between uh, Israel, Holland, England, and America. So (laughs) I can appreciate the challenges there. Cool. So who who are you publishing this under, David? Um, I am publishing it myself under my company, Machine Age Productions. Um, We considered, like, we pitched it to a couple of companies, and we had a couple of little bites and stuff on it, but really, I think that um, the creative control of self-publishing was the way to go, and it's actually done really well so far. We've gotten a lot of good attention. Okay, and when is his projected release date? It is projected for release um, technically at the beginning of uh, May. I think it's going to be a little bit later than that, maybe a week or two later than that, Um However, right now, there's all kinds of samples and stuff on MachineAgeProductions.com you can check out. Um, and we even opened a really awesome um, pre-order system where people can okay. pre-order and get all kinds of neat things from um, getting killed in the book as, as one of the features. Um, <laughs> nice. To, yeah. to um, you know, we buy you drinks. Um, so we have um, a number of different ways of delivering the game. And that's, that's one of the other things I kind of like <laughs> is um, we're doing more than just a book. We're doing a book and we're doing a PDF and then we're doing what we call our digital exclusive package, yeah. which is a Excellent. yeah, it's a it's a one gigabyte flash drive. Okay. Um, oh, how so, cool! Yeah, it's a one gigabyte flash drive. It has the game's um, logo on the front. It's really beautiful little polished steel flash drive. Um, and then, in addition to just having the PDF like you'd normally get, we did um, we're doing the all of the rules and all of the major game text in wiki form. Oh, so nice. yeah, yeah. So whenever you put it on your computer, you can just like toggle through the wiki. You don't have to wait for the PDF art to load and all of that. It's just That's super so. convenient digested information. Did you do follow Mal- Malcolm Shepard had a thing on his blog a little while ago about marketing a cyberpunk game as an old beat up external hard drive that you would add all sorts of you know little kind of retro cyberpunk bits on and then mail that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's absolutely the same sort of theory. Um, I know with that, like, we're also we're we're, we're kind of like pulling in a little bit more stuff. We're doing some um, music and everything. Like, I've gotten a couple of um, bands to sign on to contribute music to the digital package, and um, I believe we're going to be adding a unique, um, like, exclusive adventure to that. Um, we just we really wanted to offer a that's new fantastic. way. Yeah, or, yeah, it's like really. We're, we're we're putting out the the PDF as a um, Creative Commons. People can mess with it. People can you know share it whatever they want. I don't really care if you want to download it. Download it. Um, <laughs> don't tell but, them that, David. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to add value and like give people a reason to want to buy it. Yeah. And um, that's that's really what I think that this is there for is to sort of add that value. And if someone actually wants to contribute to the success of the product, yeah. then they can do it. I think that's one of the it's one of the coolest ideas I've heard in ages. That you know, a little yeah. flash drive with the music, and uh, that's brilliant. Well, I think the next question on everybody's mind, David, is what is the retail price of everything? Yes. Oh, um, that's that's a complex question. <laughs> I'm pretty sure because um, because it's not been all finalized. I got to do my print run, which is you know depends on pre-orders. I'm pretty sure the hardcover, the black and white hardcover, is going to be um, thirty four ninety nine. Um, okay. That mm-hmm. may go up or down by a couple of dollars um, before release. Um, the flash drives are probably going to be eighteen to twenty. Okay. Cool. Um, the PDF uh, version is going to be between um, twelve and fifteen. We've got to settle on a couple of things with that too. Um, and there, we're we're sort of in talks about a um, color version. I know that we have um, the color copy is up for pre-order, but it's it's very expensive because it's difficult to do. Um, it's expensive mm-hmm. to do um, color oh, full color. Um, and see, yeah, the, 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 the various, um, the various pre-order packages are actually very close, if not a little cheaper in some cases, um, yeah. to it. And with those we offer, like we, we package them with the flash drives. We flat package them with the book we do with a t-shirt okay. and everything. We, we put a Fantastic. t-shirt with our online orders. So. How about David Hill drives your house and drops it off? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah that, would, that, would, that would be a little bit more, but you know, I, I would be willing to go into talks for that. Twenty bucks in gas. Uh, yeah, I'm only, yeah. <laughs> yeah. David, you're, only, shipping, you're shipping overseas as well. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Actually, um, I'm alarmed by that fact. Um, <laughs> I have um, I have someone who has pre-ordered from Italy. I have had Uh-oh. someone who has pre-ordered from um, Belgium. And I have one in Estonia. Um, the guy in Estonia is like really hardcore about it. He really wants to um, help promote the game. We've got Canada, which isn't actually overseas, but it's basically. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Canadian so, yeah, fans. We have, we have a number lakes. of countries, and we are willing to ship. Um, it's not as expensive as people make it out to be. Well, um, I might, I might uh, shell out for one of those, uh, those flash drives. That sounds really cool. Yeah, that does sound really cool. We'll have to look into that, Mark. Yeah, no, that's really neat. Okay, uh, can we find this? Um, will it be available on Amazon as well? Or it should be available on Amazon. I don't know what the time frame is. Um, we we do have a deal set up where it's going to be on Amazon. It's going to be on a couple of other websites, um, but that kind of happens at the printer at, um, their, at their rate. I don't know how quickly that goes on. Okay. Um, I know it's going to be on drive through, and we're looking to also sell through Indie Press Revolution. Okay, and oh, what cool. about uh, Lulu Press? Are you going to use that print-on-demand option at all, or are you not? I'm optimal? not doing it through Lulu because they're expensive, and we have a bad track record with them. I've, oh. I've seen a lot of bad stuff 
come through them. We are doing it through Lightning Source, though. Oh, okay. um, Lightning Source does beautiful print-on-demand. It's very affordable. It's a lot better on the con- customer side, too. Um, it's it's going to be about $10, $15 cheaper than if we went through Lulu. Lulu shipping costs are a little bit crazy. Sometimes. They're absurd. So if you actually, if you're, um, if you're overseas, um, it's, it's actually better to buy directly through us because even with Lightning Source, uh, it's the same with Lulu. Their international shipping rates are just unprecedented. I don't understand it. I don't get it at all. But we ship for whatever the, the postal service ships for, which is usually about $10, $15. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, David, why don't you plug your website so people know where they can uh, get the pre-orders? That would be machineageproductions.com. Um, if you're pre-ordering, down on the left side, there's a big white box that says Machinesite, and it has um, our Kickstarter campaign, which is how we're doing our pre-orders. Um, and, you can fi- again, you can find all kinds of information on the website. There's all sorts of free information. Also, um, I've blogged the entire process. Um, so the information is free. It is there. Great. Oh, and how can they get in contact with you, David, other than going to the website? Well, if they don't want to go through the website, then they can just email me directly. My email address is machine, M-A-C-H-I-N-E, I-V, like the Roman numeral 4, at gmail.com. Okay. And if someone wants to call you on the phone... No, I'm kidding, David. <laughs> <laughs> then, then they can look at the website, and if they find a phone number there... <laughs> okay, Mark, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, that was. I, I'm. I'm still kind of sitting here, just yeah. thinking about that little flash drive. That's. Uh, I, I know. I'm I, still I, still blown away by that. That's I like really that really cool. idea a lot. I just love the idea of having music on it. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Should we ask random question A, Mark? Go on then. All right. <laughs> so the new thing now is we ask random question A. So the last random question A we picked was if you could be a porn star, what would what te- what name would you pick for yourself and why? Oh man! Um, yeah, <laughs> last time I talked to you guys, I had that question, so um, I don't want to be inconsistent. <laughs> no, um, I would probably um, let's see. Oh man, I'm no good at that. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, Chuck picked. What did Chuck pick? Misty Mountains or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Misty Mountains, Misty Meadows, something like that. Yeah, Hunter something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I can't, I can't hope to top that, so I'm not gonna make a fool of myself. Yeah, he said he actually wanted to be a woman, so. Of course. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's our Chuck. Yep. So David will be speechless for this answer. <laughs> I will be. I will be. Um, but really, would if I were in a porn, wouldn't you prefer that I don't talk? Yeah. <laughs> we don't like acting in our porn, so. So Silent Sally, right? There you go, Silent Sally. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap up this show. Uh, Mark, uh, we're going to come back with a Darker Days podcast in a week or so and uh, get us closer yes, to are. the Magic 20, mm-hmm. which will be our one-year show. Yes, we're almost there, almost an entire year. I can't believe it. Which will it. be in May. We'll have another Darkling. Uh, David, you're invited to our one-year show as well if you're free when we uh, plan the event. Yeah, toss, toss me over the information. I would love to make that happen. Uh, so far, we have uh, Mr. Wendig and uh, Mr. Webb booked for the show. That'll be a great big drunken party. Oh, There's yeah. been talk of a drinking game. Uh, it's true. <laughs> Shh, Mark, don't reveal our secrets. <laughs> I'm down with that. Uh, we haven't set a date or anything like that. Right now, we're working on uh, producing everything. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dave, it's been a pleasure talking to you as usual. Absolutely. I'm glad I got to talk to you guys, too. 
and we're glad that you get to put your game out there. Maybe more people will buy it. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would um that would make my electric company a lot happier. Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a very cool game. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, I re- was reading through it and I thought, you know, I could really see myself playing this uh, instead of D&D on Friday. But I yeah. think my players, would, they'd, they'd kill me, so, uh, you know, maybe next week. <laughs> Actually, Mark, you did say that in the email to me when I had uh, forwarded that to you. You were like, oh, I can yeah. see myself playing this. Totally awesome. I really enjoyed it. All right, let's get that music and get us out of here. Where's the music? There we go. <laughs> All right, folks, this is Vince signing off for Mark. Have a great night. <laughs>